Nothing But Grace. I'm Dr. Chuck McGaffey, and I am presenting this podcast as a service to those who prefer to worship in this type of way and have a chance to do so. We are always welcoming you to join us anytime you can. If you can join us for the live worship broadcast on Sunday mornings, uh, we are happy to have you do that. The best way, of course, to have you find out about either the Facebook or the live radio or the, even the, uh, the recorded Facebook uh, presentations on 11 o'clock Sunday morning is by going to our website. Very easy to remember, www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. So remember the .weebly.com and the other part's real easy to remember. It's just the name of our church all spelled out. We welcome you once again as we are engaging in our time of worship. Today I want to share with you a message entitled, How Do You See Jesus? Uh, This message is one that I hope will be meaningful to you as you go through your week as you go through the Lenten season and you contemplate the day coming up to the event called Good Friday, when Jesus was displayed for the world and there were many, many views of him even that day. So I ask you the question as we begin, how do you see Jesus? Is your understanding of Jesus based upon the facts about Jesus as recorded in the seminal biographies we usually refer to as the Gospels? Is your Jesus the Gospel Jesus? Are there other factors that have also come into your view of Christ that are not included in the biblical testimony and may even conflict with it? These are not questions designed for an entertaining academic debate, but a soul-searching demand upon all who claim to carry his name to all who want to be known as Christians. We already know that to claim to speak for God and then misrepresent him is a violation of the command to not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Nevertheless, this commandment is routinely being violated by Christians who present him as concerned with things he was not vocal about and unconcerned with things he was concerned about. Just so you know what I'm saying here, let me be even more direct. Patrick Anderson, writing for the most recent issue of 
Christian ethics today troubles the consciences of those who have redefined Jesus to fit their political agendas when he writes. Many evangelical Christians became the loudest proponents of America first populism, rejection of science, denial of certifiable facts, and blind acceptance of certifiable falsities, total abdication of righteousness and justice, all presumably with immaculately clear consciences. All of what Dr. Anderson wrote highlights a deep misunderstanding of the Jesus of Scripture, the same one who valued truth, justice, and mercy for all. The Jesus of the gospel welcomed the stranger, spoke to the kingdom of God that exceeded the borders of a single nation, cared for the sick, the poor, and children. The Jesus of the gospel valued and uplifted women and fearlessly spoke against religious hypocrisy and self-serving despots. He was, of course, crucified for his efforts, but make no mistake, the kind of Jesus depicted in the Bible is far from the kind of Jesus being portrayed by many today. You know, and I know you know that, but I know that you are like me, you really do want to know Jesus better and better so you and I can follow him more closely. That is why this passage of scripture today is so very insightful. You see, today we're going to think about Jesus from the perspective of an early follower of Jesus who views Jesus from a deliberately Jewish perspective. Christianity is a form of Judaism. Our roots are found in the story of the Hebrew people as they interacted with Yahweh God. We have been grafted into the people called chosen. So if that is true, and I hope you agree with me that it is, then we should be eager together to explore our adopted heritage and learn its lessons. There is an important difference between the earliest Christians and us, and unless we are willing to understand their point of view, we may miss something truly wonderful about our faith in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, if we will take a moment or two and try to learn from our ancient brothers and sisters, we will be forever blessed. Such is our task when interpreting the New Testament, and nowhere is that task more crucial than in understanding the letter to the Hebrews. What makes Hebrews so interesting and at the same time so difficult is that this scripture makes no attempt to communicate to anyone outside of Hebrew culture. It is written for Jews, whether they are followers of Jesus or merely interested. It is designed to connect the dots between their ancient faith and the emerging faith in Jesus as the true Messiah. One of the major themes of the writer of Hebrews, we do not know who the author is, is demonstrating that Jesus is in fact our high priest. Now that most likely does not mean very much to most of us raised outside of a priestly system, but to a first century Jew who had begun to follow the way of Jesus, it was extremely important. As we take a few moments this morning to explore why you will undoubtedly agree and your understanding and love for Jesus will be deepened as a result. Please, let's begin 
by reading our scripture passage from the heart of the discussion, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designed by God, a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. The original high priest was a shadowy figure with the rather strange-sounding name Melchizedek. It is important to try and understand what practices came to be associated with the order of Melchizedek, which is the high priesthood. The high priest was a sacred representative of the Israelite people. His function was ceremonial, paying homage to God on behalf of the Israelites and interceding for the Israelites in the daily sacrifices. He was consecrated for this task by having the priestly vestments placed on him. The high priest was responsible for the atonement of sins and impurities that invaded the tabernacle and its holy place. This atonement was accomplished in the annual Yom Kippur ceremonies. Because the high priest was to exemplify holiness, he was subject to more restrictions than the other priest. The high priest of the second temple period became an important political figure. The high priest was not only responsible for religious life, he is also chief administrator of internal secular policy and the representative of the Jewish community in all matters of external diplomacy. The title of high priest perhaps was even more valued than the monarchy. Perhaps that little bit of information about the position and function of the high priest helps explain what you already know from the Gospels. The Romans, by the way, were quick to realize the power and authority of the high priest and, as such, endeavored to control him to their advantage. They even went so far as to control the appointment of the high priest. The high priest was considered only a religious functionary for the Roman administration. Even the garments of the high priest were entrusted to local Roman procurators and handed over to priests just before the various festivals. Nevertheless, the people could remember and yearn for the days of independence In spite of the foreign occupation, they still looked to the priest for their salvation. It was never that the priest saved them. It was not that idea, but they needed the priest to approach God in their behalf. And that is where the writer of Hebrews connects the dots for his readers by showing them how Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Jesus is the high priest and plays the role of the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Jesus is both the sacrifice necessary for the entry into the Holy of Holies and the high priest who enters the Holy of Holies, the presence of God on behalf of the people. 
Jesus is both the offerer and the offering. There are several aspects of this that we must grasp if we are to understand the importance of this. The unfolding story of the Bible is God's redemption of lost humanity. Now, if you get that, then the entirety of the collective books called Scripture will make sense in a brand new way. In Act 1, we see the beauty and majesty of creation. God creates a lovely world designed for peace and harmony. It is a good and holy gift. Into this world, it places humankind. And things are wonderful for a while. But the humans have also been given free will. This gift enables them to choose good or evil, to embrace God and His will, or to reject it. And they reject it, choosing instead to follow the tempter. The result is that they will have to leave the beautiful garden and suffer. As Act 1 concludes, God is unwilling to leave it there. He promises a deliverer who will redeem or buy back his creation. Act 2 is lengthy. It exposes what a mess the world can become. In this act, there is murder, war, selfishness, greed, and every other human sin on display. In addition to this... There exists suffering, often inexplicable, meted out to people regardless of their actions. The book of Job is particularly illustrative of the state of of the human condition. Yet even in the midst of these sufferings and sin, there is hope. At first it is a vague concept, but gradually it takes on greater and greater definition. The man named Abram has a new vision of God as one. This God, unlike the gods of his neighbors, cannot be carved with human hands or controlled in any way. Compelled by this singular God, he leaves his homeland, taking the new name Abraham, and purposefully worships Yahweh. Years later, another leader named Moses will emerge. He will do two very important things. He will once again lead his people back to the land of promise given to Abraham, and he will codify their conduct not only to one another, but most importantly toward God. The law, or the Torah, will guide the conduct of the people called Jews. It will distinguish them as a unique vessel that contains the hope of the redemption. In Act 3, We learn that human rebellion and sin have not ceased. While there are two clear paths that people can follow, most folks continue to try and find a middle way that embraces both Yahweh and the detestable gods. This, of course, does not work. First, judges and then prophets are sent to try and persuade the people to return to God. Sometimes they do, but in the end, They always fall back into unfaithfulness. Even looming disaster is not enough to correct the course. When disaster strikes, it nearly destroys the people. They are exiled, once again removed from their homeland. In spite of this, even in the midst of such tragedy, Yahweh God is not silent. He speaks through his prophets a word of redemption. There is one coming, an anointed one, a suffering servant, the Messiah, who will redeem the people. The people do not return to the land, but the people then do return to the land, but their troubles are not over. First conquered by the Greeks, then later the Romans, they are able to live in their homeland, but their freedom is gone. 
Even their worship of God is tightly controlled and occasionally violated by the pagan invaders. In this experience, they long more than ever for the promised one who will free them from their oppressors. The next act begins the New Testament. The New Testament is also known as the New Covenant. It is the new deal that God is going to make with humanity. All throughout the Old Covenant, there was the priestly system. The priestly system had several components that will be directly comparable to the role of Jesus. The high priest's basic function is to make atonement for sins. The note on the humanity of the high priest prepares for the next point of comparison. The high priest is subject to weakness and is therefore able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. The final point made about the high priest is that he does not presume to take the honor, but that he takes it only when called by God. Each of these attributes points to at Jesus, who fulfills the picture painted by years of priestly practice. He makes atonement for sins. Jesus not only carries the sacrifice to God, he is the sacrifice. Furthermore, Jesus, through his humanity, is able to relate to us. He knows our suffering intimately. Even when we suffer and cannot understand why, we are never in doubt of God's love because we have the suffering servant to look toward with hope. Jesus came to fulfill God's will. When he cried his last words from the cross, it is finished. It is approaching the climax of the drama. At last, everything is going to make sense. At last, God is going to set right what has gone wrong. The work of redemption will be made complete. At the moment he died, an earthquake shook the ground. The sky went black and the huge curtain of the temple that separated humanity from God was torn from top to bottom. All of this done because in a great reversal of what happened in Eden, when given a choice to follow God or the devil, we chose the devil. Jesus, in a different garden, said, Thy will be done. But the story does not end there. Jesus, the high priest, who through his faithfulness, humanity, and sacrifice, has brought us back, has bought us back, returns from the dead. Now he is the conqueror of mankind's greatest foe. Death reigns no more. The promise of resurrection is given to all his children. In the final act, the comforter, God's Holy Spirit, comes and inhabits not a small room of a temple, but resides in the souls of all who will believe in him. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This was the story they needed to hear. It is the story we need to understand, too. Through this great epic, we discover the truth about ourselves and God. Jesus was one of us. He experienced life with faithfulness and obedience. He serves as our priest with sympathy and patience because of his experience of human testing. The question you and I must now answer is, so what? So what will this great drama, a drama still unfolding in human history, mean to us? Will we be motivated to share the good news with others? Will we be comforted that even though we undergo temporary trials, God is still with us? Will we believe more deeply in the resurrection from the dead and forgiveness of sins, not only for ourselves, but for any who put their trust in him? I hope so. You see, Hebrews was not just written for Hebrews. 
It was written and included in Scripture for you and me. We are blessed when we learn more of our story brought down to us through our spiritual ancestors. We've been adopted as the chosen people, grafted into the tree of Israel, and that is special. As you go throughout this coming week, may that thought guide you. As the season of Lent expires and we enter Holy Week, allow the meaning of the passion to fill your thoughts and transform your souls. The cross was for you. Why you are why Christ came. His death was a sacrifice for you. By his resurrection, you are likewise raised from death to life. Jesus, our high priest, has brought us back. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Lord, fill us with new understanding and new hope. As our high priest, you have accomplished our forgiveness. As the lessons of the coming days approach, deepen our experience and love for you. May our love be transformed into a fresh walk of faith that transforms not only us, but all who see into our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.